Yeah, 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 yeah. You talking means. I'm talking. I'm talking about those pretty little boys. I like the gals. Oh. I'm with these men's. Oh. A replay of Brazil versus Korea Republic mm. on FS2 HD right now. Oh. The be- the best one. Yeah, I'm actually watching the Red Sox and the Orioles. Nice. I would if I could do that. Remember when we had big hopes for the Red Sox this year? I was just thinking about that about 30 minutes ago. I was like, man, all of, all of this soccer news means we don't have to talk about the collapse of the Red Sox this year. Dude, the thing is, you know, last year we couldn't hit the damn ball. Yeah. This year we're, hitting, we're ripping the damn ball. Our pitching sucks. Yeah, it's not oh, great. God, they're bad. We just need to start calling up guys or something. <clears throat> yeah, everybody come up. Yeah, I have great news. What's that? Uh, due to uh, due to my playage of uh, the FIFA 2014, mm-hmm. no longer has Stevie G never lifted the uh, English uh, League Cup. Oh, fantastic! No longer is Stevie G known as the guy who gave away the uh, the 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 soon to be Premier League, then known as the Barclays Premier League. Yes, he is now a champion, Ed. And I know, I know he's sitting there thinking, man, this is just as big as if I'd done it for real. Thank you, Wes Bradshaw. And then I say, no, thank you, Stevie G. <laughs> is that what you say? Uh, that's what I say. I say that before I go to bed, mate. Um, you know, I lay down in bed beside my smoking hot trophy wife, uh, who then kicks me in the back and tells me to lay on my side. Yeah. And I lay on my side, and the last thing I say before I close my eyes is, you're welcome, Stevie. You're welcome, lad. You're welcome. You're welcome, young man. We also won the FA Cup. Uh, we won the league by like 14 points, <laughs> and uh, and we're in uh, Europe this year. And I saw, and I resigned Suarez the 200,000 pounds a week. That's good. That's good because he well because he didn't have a World Cup to bite anybody in your game. Well, there was a World Cup, and they actually made the semifinals in it. He just he decided not to eat anybody. That's and the cool. most amazing thing of all, Germany beat uh, Germany lost England in the quarterfinals. Oh God, what's that, wrong that, with that, that AI? Right there, completely tells us that this is the most unrealistic uh, <laughs> game of all time. Where did the United States make it in that one? I don't even know. Uh, Apparently on this one, they let you be a national team coach while you coach your own team. So That's, not only am I, am I the manager of Liverpool, I'm also the manager of Switzerland. Wait, Switzerland? I thought you'd be the manager of England. I wasn't offered that job. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I've been offered, I was offered the job in, uh, I think, Finland, um, Kazakhstan, and <laughs> Switzerland. What is Kazakh? And, and since uh, Switzerland was the only one I'd ever heard of any of their players because they have Zerdan Shakiri and, uh, and Granit Xhaka uh, and Fabian Shard and Ricardo Rodriguez, I took that job and got them to the final 16 of the World Cup. That's good. Sure. I didn't even really have to try. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, they weren't in a very hard group, were they? Um, we were in a group, well, I mean, this was not – True to life. 
Because, you know, uh, I had to, first we had to qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we were in a group with um, Italy um, and somebody else. I can't remember who else I beat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Once I was in there with like maybe Colombia. Oh, wow. That was a good job then to get to the round of 16. Yeah. See, I'm awesome. <laughs> you're, just, you're so great. Obviously, I'm amazing. So. You're, you're a thief of. 14 powers cannot be denied. Well, the thing is, somehow Joe Allen has turned out to be like the best player in the world on my game. <laughs> Once again, knowing that's completely unrealistic. <laughs> there you go. And also, Daniel Sturge only missed like two games due to injury last season. Wow. Yeah, wow. Totally. Totally. I have a loaded young squad and I uh, have a shitload of money because I sold off all my veterans. Nice, nice. And I bought young and awesome. Of course you did. Yeah, and this is what I talk about now is my FIFA 2014 career mode stuff. This is this is how you annoy people at work now. So, yeah, absolutely. This is what I regaled them with my new tales. Since baseball is over now, and I don't have any more baseball, I don't have any more ten year old baseball to talk about. And I was talking about FIFA 2014. <laughs> it's more important. And, and about about the uh, potential prospects that I'm trying to buy. Oh, nice. I do actually. I've tried to keep it a little somewhat realistic. I usually just go after like actual Liverpool targets. So good news, good news, Liverpool fans. We have Mateo Kovacic. We have Alexander Lacazette. We have Morgan Schneiderlin. We have Zuma, which I don't really know if he was a target, but anyway. Wow. Yeah. Oh, dude, we have Jack Grealish. Nice. Nice. Yeah, my, ben- my bench is uh, nastier than most starting teams. My bench Wait. is like all, all under 21 and disgusting. So does that mean you were able to get Danny Ings? I did I did actually buy Danny Ings. Ah. In the first season, He uh, like I only played him in like three or four matches. So he got pissed and wanted to go on loan. So I've sent him on loan to like Brentford this year or something. <laughs> so uh. I did buy Danny Ings. Uh, I had Emre Chan on loan because they wouldn't sell him to me. Uh-huh. Uh for some reason, I went ahead and just didn't get Lovren. Yeah, <laughs> I do have Alberto Moreno. Yeah, I do have uh, Sako. Did you get a uh, Did you get a Rigi? I do not have a Rigi yet. I'm thinking about. It. He's on my short list. I haven't decided to go that route yet. He has a short list. Yeah, I have a short. Well, you you put your guys on your short list that you uh, that you want to go back and really look at trying to get. And I have him on my short list. This is basically football manager now. Oh, totally, dude. I mean, I'm sitting here like, you know what? I just won the Premier League easily with basically the Liverpool team intact. Mm-hmm. What's their excuse now? Yeah. I mean, all we had to do was keep Suarez. You know, I just re-signed Sterling for 60000 a week. That was pretty easy. What's everybody else's complaints? I mean, why, why can we not get this done for real? If I can do it, why can't we get it done for reals? They just—they need to hire me. Yes, yes, they do. Because I, I want to come over and be your assistant. They just need to—they just need to hire me. I need to—I need to head up the transfer committee. <laughs> you don't I'm, need to be Brandon Rogers. No, I don't want to do the day to day. I just want to buy the bread and let Brendan make the sandwiches. <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. Yeah, this is this is how we're going to entertain you folks all summer. Don't worry. Oh yeah, this is this is how we get it done on the All New Sports of the podcast. Now into episode fifty-eight, which 
you know, of course, is being brought to you by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com. We're at NGSC Sports. We never stop. I'm Edward Green. That is Wes Bradshaw. We're joined by producer Desmond McManus. Uh, and I was emailing Wes a little bit, and we've been talking. And it's like, man, we were we were kind of worried going into the summer. Like, man, what, what are we going to talk about without really that much football? Well, the, go- the gods smiled in our favor and gave us all this crap to talk about. And Wes found FIFA 2014 for 20 bucks. It's true. Who was on the cover of that one? Uh, Messi's on like the cover of everyone on the uh, That's true. I thought, well, I, I want to say like one year they started putting like Messi and someone else, and the someone else varied by region. Yeah, but I think they've decided that's just stupid because now <laughs> everybody just wants Messi. Yeah. So why waste your time with uh, waste your time with other people when you can just have Messi? It's it's true. Uh, someone else that found out that they want Messi is um, uh, Spanish authorities. You know, they, they want to get him on that tax fraud. But we might talk about that later. Who knows? Because, God, this show is going to be packed. Uh, we have tons of stuff to talk about. So I'm not even going to tell you what we're going to talk about, loyal listeners, because if we don't get to something, I don't want to tease you unnecessarily about it. Uh, so what I will tell you is that if you want to get in on the conversation – you can hit us up on Twitter at All New Sports Show or at West Bradshaw 21 or at Edward Green. You can get us on Facebook, All New Sports Show. Instagram is the same. YouTube, we're The All New Sports Show. Email us, allnewsportshow at gmail.com or plain old mail us at 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804 as the Red Sox officially drop another match. Wes, let's head to the uh, to the uh, the uh, Olympus Stadion, let's go there and okay. talk and talk about what we thought would be the only real thing we'd have to talk about this summer besides the Women's World Cup. Turns out we were kind of wrong, uh, but it was the Champions League final, Berlin 2015, and it was a great match between Barcelona and Juventus, the champions of Italy. Uh, the man, uh, Barcelona gets their win. They take down Juventus three to one in front of a packed house in Berlin. Uh, really tight match much of the way. Rakitic got the scoring early for Barcelona in the fourth minute. Looked like it might be the runaway we all expected it to be, but um, in the 55th minute after Juventus had settled down. Alvaro Morata put Juventus on level terms, uh, but then just 12 minutes later, Luis Suarez wins the tournament for Barcelona with a powerful header, and then Neymar wraps it up in the 97th minute on the final kick of the game. Wes, a really strong match. 3-1 might be a little uh, flattering to deceive, Barcelona, though, worthy champions. Juventus, very worthy runners-up, though. Well, I mean, what happened was what we figured would happen. Barcelona played on the front foot throughout the match. Juventus sat back, defended, tried to catch them on the counter, tried to put a few things together when they could. But we always knew, they always knew, that it was just going to come down to they had to keep the big three from scoring. Mm-hmm. 
they had to keep Messi, Neymar, and uh, Suarez off the scoreboard somehow. And they weren't able to do it. They weren't able to do it. Uh, both uh, Suarez and, uh, crap, was it Messi or Neymar scored right at the end? Neymar. It was Neymar. Neymar scored at the end. So, okay, so you keep Messi off the scoreboard, but Messi was ever-present, and Messi was fantastic, mm-hmm. as he usually is. He just didn't get a goal. Um, and then you add in Rakitic, who is the engine that makes Barcelona go. Oof. You know, kind of the under, <laughs> the underappreciated oh, yeah. Ivan Rakitic. Uh, but he gets that opening goal and what was just a beautiful, beautiful, uh, you know, setup to that goal. And I think really at that point, even though I know Juventus came back, they got the equalizer. I just think we all felt it was a matter of when, not yeah. if Barcelona was going to pull up and pull away. It's true. Um, of course, this was also notable for a couple reasons. Uh, Barcelona gets their fifth European title, uh, which puts them in a joint third place with Bayern Munich and Liverpool. They're also the first European club to achieve the treble twice. Of course, Barcelona this year won La Liga and won the Copa del Rey. Juventus was also going for their own treble after winning Serie A and the Copa Italia. Uh, This was also notable for being Xavi's final match. Uh, It looks like he will be leaving Barcelona and retiring, so a very strong way for him to go out, coming on as a substitute in the 78th minute for Barcelona. Uh, I I guess my question is, Wes... How, how do you actually beat now Barcelona? They, they will drop matches, but if this machine, if these three guys at the top keep, keep this kind of cohesion, how do you beat them? I've, being the non-manager that I am, not <laughs> the greatest understander of football tactics of all time, I, personally, I think I would take my shot you know, you're, you're going to have to be a team who, A, does have top players, mm-hmm. but B, does not mind getting dirty and getting physical. Yeah. And by getting dirty, I don't mean playing dirty. I mean, you know, not being afraid to stick in for a tackle, uh, not being afraid to, you know, take a chance here and there because you've got those three guys across the front line who all – in their own right, if they were all on three separate teams, every one of them could probably make a really good case to be the best player in the world. Yes. And they just happen to have all of them. <laughs> um, good damn job, Barcelona. You got all the good players. Um, if they have achieved our Real Madrid's dream. But uh, I, I think it's going to have to be a team that you can man-mark. Somehow you can man-mark those three or man mark at least one or two of them mm-hmm. and hope the other one doesn't kill you. I, I just, I think it would, ha- I think it's going to have to be kind of a, to borrow from another sport, almost a hack a shack. Yeah. I mean, that was the way to stop Shaq was just foul his ass over and over. Yeah. I almost think that might be some team's best bet, especially in Europe or somewhere to knock off Barcelona. Uh, because when they're ready to play and they're motivated, Right now, they're just—I mean, they're just—they're just too good overall. Now, another thing that could get them, you know, they haven't really felt the effects of the transfer embargo yet. Right. Um, 
And of course, I mean, it doesn't really look like this transfer embargo is really going to stop them from doing much business. Yeah. Because I'm really interested to see what's going to happen because they've been linked with a couple of top players in the summer. But, you know, of course, they can't register that player until January. Right. When they're transferring Bargain So I'm interested to see what's going to happen if they go and sign a top player. What's that guy going to do for, (laughs) you know, the first four months of the season? So that's going to be interesting. But, you know... Injuries. I mean, I mean, you're you're going to have to hope to God something happens to them, like happened to Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. If you're playing them in Europe, you hope. You know, obviously for Munich, Ribery and uh, Robin were both injured late into the uh, stages of the Champions League. I mean, you've almost got to hope something like that happens, and that just evens the playing field a little bit, and you can find a way to beat them. Yeah, I I think you're they're talk- just, they're just so set up right now because they're. They have the perfect mix of youth and um, and veteran. Right, I, I think the the what you were you were describing there. I think that's you're going to have to win ugly. You, you're not going to win a pretty game against Barcelona. You're going to have to be willing to do all the little things to to get physical with them and really try to boss them off the ball. And I think that that's that's just not a lot of European teams can do that. Um, I think I think maybe Bayern could have if they had been at full strength, um, but even then, it's it, there's just not many teams that are going to be able to go toe to toe with Barcelona right now. I, I think the only English team that could do it right now would be a full strength Chelsea. Yeah, you're right. And I say that because you know Chelsea have that steel, they have that grit, they have that nastiness about them, but then they also have Azard. And when he's healthy, they have a Diego Costa who can put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, they have Hazard who can create. They have Oscar who can create. Well, in that back line, and and having um, Courtois on goal is is really would be really helpful. And of course, um, you know they they have they have a manager who has <laughs> obviously been here, done that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, you know, Mourinho would love to get a chance to uh, stop Barcelona, especially in the Champions League. Um, and also, he has the defensive guile to to come up with a game plan to try to sh- uh, slow down Barcelona. Speaking of slowing down, uh, did you see today that uh, Josie got in trouble for, for driving too fast and got his license suspended? Josie doesn't need a license. No, he doesn't. He's Josie- just going to... He's going to go from parking the bus to driving it. Um, what you la- mean to run it? <laughs> yeah. Last thing on the uh, the Champions League for right now. Uh, Wes, what, what does Juventus say in their march to the final here? What, what does it say about maybe an Italian league, an Italian football, that we had kind of left for dead about a year ago? Is, is this any sort of a resurgence we might be seeing, especially from Serie A? Or, or is Juventus just the class of their league? They're still incredibly strong, but the rest is kind of the 19 dwarves, I guess we would call them. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing. You know, it's uh, – I wouldn't say it's so much a reflection on Serie A. It's just Juventus have the resources and they have the infrastructure where they have no problem going out and putting together a team. I mean, you look at what they've already done in the transfer window – 
they're going to lose some guys this year. That's the other thing. They they lose guys and they still find ways to replace and continue to uh, excel and achieve. There's a very good chance uh, they're going to have an interesting offseason. Uh, Carlos Tevez probably going to be out of there. Uh, everything points toward Arturo Vidal being out of there. And then, of course, the big one, the one everybody in the world's talking about, you know, Paul Pogba. Oh, yeah. Is he going to be back? Because if he's not, obviously, that team's going to take a step back. Now, yes, they have already made some good moves, and they're going to not even rebuild. They're going to reload, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a, they're a great uh, organization. They know what they're doing. But I think this year, I, I believe they kind of caught some lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. They got a Madrid team in the semifinals that was just completely falling apart. Yes. Yeah, I mean they had. Yeah, we we talked about this around Christmas. What kills Madrid? Madrid kills themselves if they turn into a grease fire, and that's exactly what they did. Yep. They also Juventus also caught uh, Porto in the quarters, which was probably one of the easier quarterfinal matchups that they could have drawn. Exactly. You know they weren't playing PSG or Chelsea in the quarters. Um, so I give a ton of credit to Juve because they had to go out there and do it, and they did it. And they gave Barcelona all they wanted in that final. But I, would, I definitely would not say this is any sort of a return to glory for Serie A. Now, for Juventus, I think this could be the start of something really good for them because now they've got some confidence. Of course, they also become the first team to ever lose six Champions League finals. <laughs> but you got to get there to lose that many. Yeah, yeah, but they're getting there. So, you know, it, it never hurts to go to the Champions League final. So, uh, I mean, it's definitely a good move for Juve. Yeah, you wouldn't be shot. You wouldn't be shot next year to see them make another run. Yeah, I think we have become kind of insensitive, I guess is the word, to the whole fact about Serie A. Just well, yeah, they're good, but they're Italian, so you know they'll they'll fall apart. Juventus for for them for themselves, they showed everyone that they're not just going to fall apart and roll over. Right. Well, so, that that is, that is going to do it for the Champions League for about two months, uh, and then we're going to start the cycle over again, guys. Playoffs uh, to get into the group stage will be starting uh, with round one playoffs in about. Not even two months, maybe a couple weeks. Uh, so we're gonna have. I'm just not gonna know what to do. Not seeing Arsenal qualify for the Champions League. I know, right? The fact that they're already in the group stage is so weird. It's just I'm like what to do. Uh, I just I don't know what to do with my time. Um, so yeah, we went over the teams that have already qualified and everything uh, last week. So just a quick reminder: the first qualifying round draw date will be June 22nd, uh, and those we played on. Uh, the beginning of July for the first qualifying round and throughout July and August through the qualifying rounds. Um, all right, Wes, let's talk friendly. Let's get super friendly up in here. Um, some I've of already the, got my pants off, so let's go. Oh, I you know who didn't? Paul Scholes. Um, but first, let's talk USA, USA, where just hours earlier from when we recorded this podcast, United States of America men's national team got their second big win on the road in as many weeks. First, it was an up-and-down, no-defense friendly against the Dutch in Amsterdam, 
beating the Netherlands 4-3. to three. Uh, Of course, the Netherlands preparing for Euro qualifying, then uh, the United States preparing for the Gold Cup coming up here next month. Uh, but the United States men score twice in the final moments. Uh, Daniel Williams and Bobby Wood, remember that name, it's going to come up here again in a moment, uh, got the equalizer and eventual winner for the U.S., and as they come here today, they head over to Germany, where it's another German love fest between Jürgen Klinsmann and Jürgen Lowe. And the United States get another big win on the road. They beat the defending world champions, even though it was maybe sort of their A-minus team, 2-1. to one. Bobby Wood again with the winner. Mixed Discarude was the one that equalized just before the half. After Mario Goetze got the goal for the Germans in about the 12th minute. Wes, um, big steps for a United States team that, you know, late last year, earlier this year, we were saying they can't close out games. They fall apart late. And all of a sudden, the narrative has flipped over on its head. They've given away leads early, but now they're finding good old American grit determination. Hashtag 11 best friends and finding a way to win these games. Yeah, they are. Um, definitely give them credit going to those two European powerhouses uh, and getting very good results. Y- you did somewhat hit the nail on the head. No, it was not the strongest Germany team. Personally, I'm looking at their back four right now, and I've never heard of any of them, <laughs> nice. including the keeper. I mean, you did have the likes. No, no, don't get this wrong. Good players played. Mesut Ozil, Sammy Kadira, Schweinsteiger, uh, Christopher Kramer, uh, Christoph Kramer, excuse me, Ilke Gundogan, yep. Max Kroos, Mario Gutze. Uh, I would say Podolsky, but everybody knows Podolsky's not a good player anymore. And Cheryl can't, get, uh, and, uh, and Cheryl can't start at Wolfsburg, so yeah. And uh, Andre Scherler. Um, yep. So they, they definitely played... Um, it, it was a it was it were German players you had heard of, which is a little different from the last time, the one in uh, RFK a few yeah. years ago, where I literally don't think I'd heard of maybe more than about two or three of the German players. <laughs> <laughs> um, so definitely give the United States credit. The USA now that's the USA also they played a they played a strong squad today. Um, if you look at it, that is there's a lot of guys who are going to be on their next World Cup team. You would you would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they kind of went. It, it was one of those go big or go home, and they went big kind of things. Uh, but give it to Klinsman. You know these guys. You made the point that they had gotten this kind of international reputation of giving away matches late of over the last few months. And instead, they, they found a way, and they won this one late. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's why I kind of I described this German team as an A-minus team. It definitely wasn't their B team, but certainly wasn't their A team. I think the Dutch were kind of the same way. Yes, they played uh, our favorite, uh, Jans Klaas Untelaar, uh and Memphis Depay, but they also played a lot of guys who, who weren't going to be that much of a factor for the Dutch. But also, again, these both these teams, Germany and Netherlands, were using these as tune-ups for Euro qualifiers. So they were trying to put their best foot forward in a lot of cases. 
Um, so I think that's very important. Of course, as the men in blazers would say, never, never want to overreact to international friendlies. So I think, I think more than the result, what we can take away from this is is sort of the development of the younger players coming through her. Um, guys like DeAndre Yedlin, who in both these matches, uh, coming on as a substitute, was phenomenal, basically playing almost a right-wing role. Uh, even, even as he was sort of playing from the back, he's still showing that speed on the wings and actually set up a couple of the goals. Bobby Wood, of course, getting both winners. Um, Jordan Morris, the Stanford product, who scored when we last saw him, and in these two had one assist uh, in the Dutch game and looked good again in Germany. Uh, and even Michael Bradley looking a lot better. So I think more, more than the wins, and that back line still really needs to be shored up, but more than the wins themselves, I, I think the development right now you're seeing of these players, and, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head too, this is started, you're starting to see the team that's going to go to Russia. Um, there will be changes, there will be edits, but you saw there, you know, because of injury, there was no Josie Altidore. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, I probably maybe because of club season, there was no Clint Dempsey. Uh, Aaron Johansson. That, that, that might be a good thing between those last two. What? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, Altidore, not exactly Wayne Rooney of America by any means. No. So, I mean, I, I just don't see where – I don't see what Altador has done in the last 18 months that warrants him to be the first name on the uh, team sheet every week. You're, you're, you're right, I think. Um, and, and I think that that's what – if I was Josie Altador, I'd be scared of my, out of my mind, especially with the way Jordan Morris is playing. Uh, Rubio Rubin, who has been good for the under-20s, uh, had a big goal this morning slash yesterday against, uh, I want to say, Colombia or Ecuador – whoever they be to go to the quarterfinals of the under-20 World Cup. Uh, he had a great goal in that match. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on those guys. And I think, you know, it, it was it was kind of assumed this would either be Clint Dempsey's last World Cup or he wouldn't even make it, maybe a little uh, Landon Donovan-ish. Uh, either way, this was going to be his final ride. But if I'm Altador, I'm still kind of in the quote-unquote prime of my career. And I see these young kids coming up behind me. I, I'm terrified because this team, all of a sudden, they're scoring goals. Mixed Discrude looked really good again. If I'm Jurgen Klinsmann, this Gold Cup is going to be very interesting coming up here next month because he's going to have a lot of time to figure out who his best 11 are. And right now, I don't know that Altidore is one of them. Well, here's my thing on Altidore, and I know, folks, I know I sound like a complete hater. Maybe a little bit, but okay. Um, here's my deal with Altidore. I mean, you've got a guy who, what right now is his claim to fame with the U.S.? He got in a rich vein of form during qualifying at the last World Cup. Well, and he had the, uh, he had the goals against Spain in the uh, Confederations Cup in 2009, but your point is valid. I mean, he's had, he's had one or two good runs of form. This is a guy who in Europe, when playing, you know, whenever he's had to step his game up, he hasn't done it. Yeah. I mean, yes, he's had a few good moments for the United States national team, but, you know, I mean, if I'm Klinsman, I'm not looking at it as, oh, I've got Josie Altidore. Don't even need to find another striker. I mean, obviously his injury record has not been great. 
And, and like I say, he's very hot and cold. If he's hot, hey, great. He can help carry the U.S. But if he's not, he just doesn't offer you much else. Mm-hmm. And I think one, one of the things to think about is, is he was that guy who was going to be like the athlete, the big strong guy. He could hold up play well. He, he could score goals for you. He'd be that kind of guy that we don't really see in the U.S. uniform very much, especially up top. And it, it just hasn't panned out. And I think you probably need to give him like one more chance. But honestly, I, I think the future, even six months ago, now if there's no more outdoor, looks a lot brighter than it did, like I said, six months ago. Uh, it should be noted, it looks like Demarcus Beasley is going to be coming out of retirement for the Gold Cup this summer uh, to play on the back line. Uh, so, so we'll see how that goes. But right now, that's that's the sore spot right now is that back line. Uh, Brad Guzan had a couple good matches in goal. Uh, the midfield looks solid. Up top looks really good now. I, I, I tell you, the United States is starting to build something. Jurgen Klinsmann is starting to build something. And it's looking to be very, very good. Just Again, these are cycles. You know, a couple losses here and there. It happens. He, he, as, as you would say, Wes, he's blood in his guys. That's, that's what he, that's what JK has done. Well, and one big thing, you know, here's where Klinsman has an advantage. I guess you, you, you could call this an advantage over your Germany's, obviously your England's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, your Brazil's, your Argentina's is, there is no set group of players who are so dominant domestically in big leagues that you you have to start them. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you, take a look back at Sven Goran Eriksson and Steve McLaren. They had no choice but to start Gerard and Lampard mm-hmm. together, even though it was proven it never worked. <laughs> They didn't have a choice because they were seen far and away as the two best midfielders of their generation in England, which I'm not going to argue they were. But there was so much public pressure on those managers that those are the guys they had to play. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to play Rio Ferdinand. You had to play John Terry. You had to play Wayne Rooney if he could stay healthy. You know, um, in – in Argentina, there was a time in Argentina where Messi, as great as Messi was, Messi did not exactly fit into the team concept that they were doing in Argentina. Mm-hmm. But yet, even though he didn't exactly fit what they were doing, you had to play Messi. Right. The United States does not have that problem. Not really, no. You know, um, the great thing about the U.S., <laughs> and this almost sounds patronizing, I'm not trying to do that at all. The U.S. has some guys who internationally are known somewhat, mm-hmm. but they they do not have any megastars in the European League. Not to say that can't change in the next five years. Right. But right now, Jurgen Klinsmann, if he decides this is what I'm doing for this match, yes, there are obviously going to be people, oh, no, you're crazy. You're not starting the right guy. The majority of fans are going to look at him and say, all right, yeah, let's take a chance. Let's see what this guy can do. Mm-hmm. And he is not crucified immediately if it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Klinsman is truly coaching. 
in a much more pressure-free environment than he ever coached in in Germany, where literally every every match, if you won three to one, people were questioning why you gave up the one goal. <laughs> yes. Here in the U.S., we are so excited and happy when our team wins. We're just, oh man, we beat the Netherlands. I don't give a shit who played. <laughs> yeah, we beat Germany. I don't give a shit who played. Oh man, I don't care who we played. You know, yes. it's just we beat them. Those guys, that's fine, awesome, great. You know, in, in Germany and England, Brazil. Everything, you know, it's also, it's it's a real political atmosphere when it comes to things. You know, in Spain, for a long time, you had to have a certain number of Basque players in mm-hmm. the team, if that's right. what you were going to do, you know, just to keep people happy. In the U.S., all we care about is a result. Mm-hmm. We don't care how you get it. You know, we don't give a shit if Clint Dempsey never plays again if we win. Yeah, that's mostly true. You know, I mean, Landon Donovan was maybe our best, most popular player of all time here in the United States. And as soon as John Brooks put that goal in to win that match of the World Cup, everybody's like, okay, yeah, we didn't really need Donovan. Who gives a shit? (laughs) (laughs) So that is kind of a backdoor advantage that Klinsman has at this point is that he does not have the expectation of who he has to pick every match. Right. So he really, he really truly can experiment without it blowing up in his face. Absolutely. And so it'll be it'll be fun to see then what kind of lineups he employs coming up here in the Gold Cup next month. And we'll, of course, be covering that for you. Um, speaking of England and pressure and players having to play and sometimes not playing very well, England played Ireland in a friendly, which Paul Scholes called, quote, a waste of an afternoon. Uh, in this nil-nil clash, at Dublin's Aviva Stadium, Scholes uh, on ITV said, there was a real lack of quality and a waste of an afternoon. It was an end-of-season waste of space. Uh, West, both teams looking ahead to Euro 2016 qualifiers against Slovenia and Scotland, respectively. Uh, so not a whole lot of pressure to go out and really put forth max effort in this match. Uh, but what were your opinions on it, and do you go- agree with good old Scolzi? Um, Absolutely, I agree with Scolzi, and that's not something I do often. <laughs> it was typical woolly bowl. Yeah. Um, they went out, they were very conservative. They never really pushed, they never really pressed. Roy is the one guy who I think actually goes out there, and if he is on the road, Roy is fine to go nil-nil. Mm-hmm. No problem in the world. Dutton, I don't think he gives a crap if he was playing Edwards Middle School. If he goes on the road to Edwards and gets a <laughs> nil-nil draw, oh, it was a good day. Fuck that, man. Roy Hodgson, as, as he's done everywhere he's gone, he brings mediocrity with him. Luckily at Liverpool, we got rid of him quick enough before he could completely tank our program, even though he did set us back a few years when he did it. Um... But England, for whatever reason, and like we just talked about the politics, it's all a political thing that Roy's the manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sad because England have talent. It just never looks like it. Yes. <laughs> you know, you hear all these names. It's like, God, this guy's good. This guy's good. This guy can play. We know this guy can play. And then they get in an England shirt and it just fizzles up. And right now, Roy's a big problem. But they're not going to do anything before Europe. So there's no need for me to get upset about it. There's no need for me to really worry about it. 
I just, you know, we're going to win our group. Granted, we should win our group every day, any day. And we're going to go to Euro and just see what happens. I'm sure a Final 16 matchup awaits us somewhere where we can lose on uh, two goals in the second half after a 1-0 halftime lead, or we can just go lose on penalties like we usually do. Um, Well, I was going to ask, for a team that almost certainly has just about clinched a spot going forward, uh, five wins in five matches in Group E, um, what do you want to see from England? going forward here as in this stage of Euro qualifying? Well, see, here's the deal, Ed. What I want to see is for Roy to implement an, attack for, an attacking formation that we can go out and take advantage of our natural talent and score some goals. Mm-hmm. I can want that all day. He's not going to do it. We're going to play 4-4-2 that went out of style in 1993. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And we're going to waste talents yeah. like Raheem Sterling. We're going to waste those guys. They're not going to have openings really do anything. The media is going to tear them apart, tell them that they suck. After kissing their ass all Premier League season, they'll then go to England set up, be told that they suck. Everything will blow up. Everything will fall apart. And hopefully we can just get somebody legit to go to the World Cup in 2018 if England so do decide to still go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a. I mean, that's the thing. As as a as a United States fan, Ed, you've got it better than me because you have optimism. You have options. We don't. We have Roy. <laughs> yeah. We have the shittiest yeah. international manager on the planet. And what there's, do they do? They give him an extension. There's no bitterness there. I mean, Roy. Roy needs to be coaching in the championship. Or in Scotland somewhere. Yeah. yeah. yeah he would be great at Motherwell or something. <laughs> oh man, all all the salt just pouring through West Bradshaw's veins when we talk about Roy in England. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, well, now that we're on the topic of salt, let's get to the Women's World Cup where it's all about Salty Johns right now uh, as we are through about halfway of the first uh, run through the round robin here in the knock, or, sorry, the group stage. Uh, Canada got the started off in Group A with a 1-0 win over China. Netherlands got a 1-0 win over New Zealand. So both those teams sit atop Group A, Canada and the Dutch. Um, and again, in these groups, top two advanced the knockout stage. And the top four third-place teams out of these six groups also advanced the knockout stage. Expansion. Uh, in Group B, Germany destroyed, eviscerated, blew up the Ivory Coast 10-0. Norway also had a big 4-0 win over Thailand. So those are your current group leaders. Both of them look like they're going to advance pretty comfortably. Over in Group C, it was Cameroon, another big win, 6-0 over Ecuador. And Japan beats the Swiss 1-0. So Cameroon and Japan sit on three points in Group C. In Group D, the group of death. The United States sleepily beat Australia 3-1 while Sweden and Nigeria played a back-and-forth 3-3 affair that saw Nigeria equalize late at the Winnipeg Stadium. Uh, Nigeria and Sweden split the points, each have one. United States lead the group with three points. And then in Group E, uh, Spain and Costa Rica drew 1-1, both teams scoring their first-ever Women's World Cup goals just minutes apart early on in the match. And then Brazil beats South Korea 
2-0 at the Olympic Stadium in Montreal. Uh, Formija becomes the oldest uh, World Cup scorer in women's history, uh, scoring at the age of 37. Marta adds to her legacy with a 53rd minute penalty to give Brazil two goals and all three points. Brazil sits atop the group. Costa Rica and Spain have a point each. South Korea are in fourth with no points. And in Group F, France beats England 1-0. And then Colombia draws with Mexico, although it looks like it looked like Mexico had a chance, if not for an iffy call late to take all three points. But Colombia and Mexico split them. France leads the group with three. Colombia and Mexico each have one. England currently at the bottom with zero points. Third place teams right now would go Sweden. Yeah. Third place teams right now would go Sweden, Mexico, Spain, and China. Um, Wes, do you have any quick takeaways from this first trip through the groups of the Women's World Cup? Um, sure. And I mean, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to blow smoke up anyone's tail and really tell you that I know a lot about a lot of these teams. Neither of us are. Because I don't. Um, what I do know, um, USA, it was it was tough sledding for them. That first half was really difficult um, against Australia. Part of that was Australia. They are a very good squad. Mm-hmm. The U.S. definitely in the group of death. I mean, they're in there with pretty much the best team from – I mean, the best African team in Nigeria. By far. <clears throat> Australia. Australia probably, you know, definitely one of your better Oceania teams. You know, they're, they're, definitely, they're definitely in a tough one. Um, for them to get the win in match one over Australia and the other two to split points, that's big. Mm-hmm. Because basically now what you're looking for is, you know, you win your second match, then you can draw in the third, and you're fine. You're through pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think they got some confidence by going ahead and getting the victory. You know, you, you, don't, you, you certainly don't want to lose your first match, but drawing isn't always the greatest thing either. You want to get off to a good start. The U.S. did it. Um, they're 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 only going to get better, you would feel, and that's kind of going to be scary for everyone else. They didn't play their best; they still won. Uh, Brazil, Brazil's interesting because you know here you are. You've got Marta, who at this point is probably no longer the best player in the world, but she's still super, super, super dangerous. Right. But you have a Brazil team that's. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not terrified of Brazil by any means. Not like we were four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they've never won anything, and now their golden generation is kind of petering out. Mm-hmm. Uh, France could be terrifying. Yeah. Um, England is going to go through in that group probably as the number two team. Um, it's just, you know, they're, they're at the bottom right now because they had to start with France. Right. Okay. So, uh, France, golly, obviously, you know, I'm going to pick the United States to win it, mm-hmm. but I think I'm at a point where if the United States doesn't win it, France is my pick. That's not a bad And thing. I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I'm alone on that by any means anywhere around the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a lot of people picking France. Germany's obviously tough. Um, Japan, I don't really know. 
mm-hmm. think they're. I don't think they were quite as good as they as we made them out to be four years ago. Yeah, they beat the United States in that final. Still don't think they were that great, though. Right. I think they just played a style that gave the U.S. trouble, and they got themselves there, and that was big. Um, Canada, Canada can be dangerous. I still don't think Canada's anything really to write home about. So I mean, I'm I'm still sticking with my good old U.S. and A. Well, right now, um, if um, but both, it has fun sort of if both the United States and France win their groups, they would meet in the semifinal on June 30th in Montreal. So they, they'd be able to avoid each other for a little while. Um, if if for some reason one of them didn't, uh, they probably would not meet until the final. Um, but it looks like those both those teams will probably win their group, especially with France beating England, their strongest competition in their group. Um, two other things I want to talk about, especially about this United States team um, and how it relates to Australia. Um, first... A lot of Johns put forth by the Australian uh, Federation. They put up on their official website a recap of the match with uh, an article titled Four Things We Learned After uh, After Australia versus USA. First, it begins The USA, well, they just aren't that good. The US certainly like to, excuse me, the US certainly like to talk a good game. The reality is they play a fairly rudimentary, bog standard 4 4 2 with short of ideas going forward and outmaneuver tactically. Play it long and look for the head of Wombox seems the default game plan for a team stuck in the past. World football has moved, in case Jill Ellis hasn't noticed. U.S. were outplayed by a better, smarter football inside, who were also without two certain starters in Polkinghorne and Keeper Williams, before the Aussies ran out of gas. U.S. relied on the individual brilliance of Megan Rapinoe to win them this game. An Oak solo in the U.S. goal saved the Americans on numerous occasions in front of a vocal, quote, home crowd in Canada. So a lot, a lot of Johns put forth by the Australian Federation, Wes. Well, and I mean, I'm not going to say they don't have a few points there. Yeah. The U.S. technically, you know, they have been much better technically in the past. Yes. Um, I don't really understand some of the things that Jill Ellis does with this group. Yeah. Um, you know, with all that attacking talent she's got. I would be trying to really find more ways to get them on the field together. You know, all they ever talk about is, well, you know, you, they play two strikers out of this group and, you know, then they've got two on the bench. Well, hell, I mean, why don't you run like a four, three, three or something and try to push one out on the wing, push a couple out to the wings and really make that attack something really scary and dangerous. I mean, could you, you imagine LaRue through the middle and, you know, somebody like, I mean, God, LaRue on the outside would Jeez. be, horrifying for teams to have to mess with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was just talking about Roy, the 4 4 it is, it is really, it's an outdated, not that there's not a place for the formation somewhere, mm-hmm. but in this day and age, you need something more than just your standard 4 4 Um, the United States, what they do have, though, they do have specifically brilliant players. They have really, really top-flight players. But that said, I kind of heard an argument. I God, I don't think it was you and I who did it, but I did hear an argument um, along the fact that, you know, are the U.S. players, are they really that great? Or do we think they're great because they're the only ones in the world that we know? Little so column A, little column B. 
Yeah. So we just assume that they're the best players in the world because, well, I mean, I don't know who else the hell is out there. <laughs> Truly, can't tell you anyone who plays for France. I know they're really good. Can't tell you anyone who plays for them. I know, I know the goal, the girl that scored, the girl who scored for France is really, really good. Yeah, I can tell you what she was. Um, I mean, we know Marta because, well, I mean, she's Marta. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really, we we don't know anybody else. And I think sometimes that gives the U.S. a false sense of security that, oh, we're so much better. I mean, we have Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino and Hope Solo. And the rest of the world's like, who? <laughs> you know, but, I mean, they are well-known because they are marketed extremely well, which no one else really markets their women. Mm-hmm. So, you know, give that to us. That said, I do think the U.S. have some very, very good, talented players. They've proven it over the years internationally. Yeah, we proved it in the Olympics. Yeah, we have proved it in the in the worldwide proving grounds. It's just we have come up short trying to win a World Cup since '94. Right. Um, but I mean, we uh, here's the deal: we always do really well in the tournament, even if we don't win. We always do really well. We're always there near the end. I, I, I really, I think right now the U.S. is still the best um, nation in the world when it comes to women's football, just overall. I just don't know if we have the best team every single year. I think we have the best organization, maybe not the best team. Well, one of those names you mentioned has become one of the big names of the tournament discussion so far, and that's Hope Solo. Um, obviously, <laughs> she had her domestic violence troubles last year, uh, being arrested, um, all that whole story. Uh, and, and some have criticized Fox and the way they're handling it the way some of their commentators are talking about it. Uh, Eric Winalda uh, saying, you know, I was didn't come here to talk about FIFA and domestic violence. I came here to talk about football was roundly panned by other people in the media. Um, I, I One person put forward, if Hope Solo was a football player, American football, she'd have been suspended for, you know, the first three games of the tournament. Is, is there, should, should Hope Solo be playing less, I guess, is the biggest question. I mean, here's my deal, man. You know, she hasn't done anything to draw the ire of FIFA. Her off-the-field actions are her off-the-field actions. There is no real precedent of anything. I mean, you know, FIFA has... FIFA suspended Suarez because he bit people. Yep. On the field. During the match. That is where, you know, I I just believe FIFA and the NFL are totally different run and different put together entities. Mm -hmm. Obviously both horribly corrupt at the top. But anyway, I don't feel like talking about that this week. Um, But, you know, the NFL, the NFL, there are a set number of teams. You know who you're dealing with all the time. You know the ownership, you know the people running it, you know the players intimately, you know all these things. It's not this big crapshoot. FIFA, you have, God, how many FIFA countries are we at now? 209. 209? I mean, the NFL, we're talking 32 teams. That can be, you know, micromanaged expertly and enter in the massive national spotlight at all times. You know, I, I just... I don't think FIFA has the authority to take someone out due to what they do outside of the field of play. Do you think the U.S. should do it? 
and now you get into a morality question on it. <clears throat> um, I believe Hope Solo was punished by her club team. Mm-hmm. Now I, I can't. I, I don't know everything. What was she punished at all by the United States national team? She was suspended for Around thirty days. Time. I think we reported thirty days suspension. Okay. Well, so there's the deal. I mean, you know, she was handed down a punishment, which, <clears throat> which she dealt with. You know, she she took her punishment. She was given. You know, I just I don't think you turn around and something she did. What was it? Almost a year ago at this point, eight nine months, maybe a year somewhere in there. Six to seven. Yeah, maybe somewhere in there now. Yeah. Okay. I I don't see why suddenly you should be bringing that <clears throat> back into play here. I just I, I don't think she should be suspended for it. I think she's she served her time. She did what. You know, she she served her suspension when it was handed down by the United States national team, and to me, I think that's it. I think that's it. Now, if she becomes a repeat offender, and now we're talking. Let's let's put six months out there. We're 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 going to do something at that point. But um, you know, I I personally think she did the time. She did the crime, and she did her time. So I don't think there should be anything added to it. Mm-hmm. I do. I do not have a problem, though, with her being under some increased scrutiny because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think she should be suspended anymore. All right. Um, well, we are going to move then off of that uh, to other soccer talk. The Copa America gets started tomorrow or today for you guys listening out there. Um, Twelve nations are taking uh, place in this tournament. Uh, group A is Chile, Mexico, Ecuador, and Bolivia. Group B is Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Jamaica. And Group C is Brazil, Colombia, Peru, and Venezuela. There is group stage play. Top two teams automatically advance, as well as the two best third-place teams into the knockout stage of eight. The winner gets to go to the Confederations Cup in 2017 in Russia, Wes, do you have a favorite you like from coming out of this tournament? Uh, I mean, I think you've got your typical teams in there. You've got your <clears throat> Brazils, your Argentinas, your Uruguays, your Chiles. I've got to figure it'd be one of the four of those. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm just gonna throw my hat in the Argentina corner. Okay. I don't really know if I totally believe in Argentina. I'm just going to throw my hat in the, in the corner with them this year. And uh, I think, you know, they've got some guys who are coming off good World Cups. They've had some guys who had some really good domestic seasons. Let's see if they can keep it up. You think a team like maybe either Colombia, uh, who had a strong showing in the World Cup last year, or even maybe the host Chile um, with guys like Alexis Sanchez maybe making a little bit of noise? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely, they're going to make some noise. And I, just, I think it's going to be one of those main countries, your, uh, your Argentina's, Brazil's, Chile, Uruguay, um, you know, Colombia. Probably out, out of that five, you're going to get your champion. Um, I just, I, I, I'm still putting my support behind uh, Argentina. Nice. 
Alright, we'll check that out. We'll be bringing you results of those matches as they are played. The final, very American for the Copa America, will be played on July 4th. Uh, and again, the winner of that match will be going to the Confederations Cup in 2017. Uh, Wes, you said you didn't want to talk about FIFA corruption. So we won't. We will mention that there have been email links uh, to FIFA president with uh, Sepp Blatter and the $10 million payment uh, to South, then South African president Thabo Mbeke, uh, which led to possibly the South Africans uh, getting the World Cup in 2010. And we do have information. We kept we keep bringing this story up, but it seems to be becoming more of a reality every time. Uh, FIFA could cancel the World Cup awards to both Russia and Qatar, says Domenico Scala, the FIFA's Audit and Compliance Committee, if any form of bribery is is found with either bidding process. Wes, I have to believe, I would say at this point it's better than even money. They'll probably find something wrong with the Qatar bid, if not maybe even the Russian bid. Oh, without a doubt, they're going to find something wrong with it. And one of the deals is because now there is such increased scrutiny on it. They're going to find problems with it. Um, how they react to finding those problems is really going to be the interesting point. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to sanction? Are you going to, I mean, are you going to flat out take it away? Once again, don't see them taking away Russia at this point. Qatar, <laughs> sleep with one eye open. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to find something in there. And I'm going to say, too, one of the reasons they're going to find something is because they're looking for something. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're looking. It's a fine, this is going to be a fine-tooth comb going over this. It's not going to be just, you know, oh, well, yeah, a homeboy might have took some money for it. No. Nah. Everything is getting really blown up now. So they're they're definitely going to find something. I just I'm really interested interested to see how the reaction will be. One of the interesting things I was reading an article today. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Fox getting that automatic bid for the 2026 World Cup as a possible uh, almost hush money type deal for having to move Qatar World Cup to the winner. It looks like FIFA did that to try and keep things low key. And it looks like it's backfiring completely and may end up helping Qatar lose the World Cup in 2022 uh, by just being shady about that. So we'll have to see how all that plays out. Um, let's hit some Premier League news and notes. Again, as Wes coyly mentioned earlier in the pod, it is the Premier League. It is no longer the Barclays Premier League, at least for this season and most likely for the 2016-2017 season as well. Uh, the top flight partnership with Barclays, which started in 2004, will not uh, be going on for the uh at the start of the 2016-2017 season. Um, so we will have one more year of the Barclays Premier League before that goes away. And Wes, one thing I noticed is kind of interesting as I was reading it, one reason that it looks like the Premier League is okay with this sort of thing is that they want to be able to market this more as an American type thing where we have Major League Baseball, the National Football League, not the AT&T National Football League. So I think they almost kind of see this as a way to sort of 
make them even look more special as a league if they don't have a sponsor. Well, and I kind of hope, I hope that they go this route that it's going to stay that way. Yes. And the reason I say that is because, you know, Hey, I love, I love the idea of just calling it the premier league. Me too. Because, you know, that's what everyone calls it. You know, no one calls it all oh, the Barclays Premier League. Yeah, you do that when you're being proper about it. Where was, hey, yeah, we watch the Prem, we watch the Premier League. Um, and also, I'm going to say this, and this is kind of weird and maybe a little shallow as I say it, but you know, Barclays Premier League at least sounds a little kind of formal and a little regal Barclays. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to turn it on and watch the Visa Premier League. Yes. <laughs> You know, I, no one wants to watch that. Come on, um, you know if you're if you're gonna take off Barclays, I would like to see them go on an extended run without, uh, you know, without having to have a sponsorship on it. I mean, obviously it just means more money for them. But I mean, come on, man, they're pulling in so much freaking money anyway. I mean, at least let us have something cool. No, you're right, and I, it's also interesting. It looks like uh, the Capital One Cup might be going away, and it'll just be the back to the League Cup for at least maybe a year or two. So right now, uh, the the it looks like England is starting to kind of move away from sponsorship names, which again I think gives it that sort of official and regal feeling that is something that we're used to in America. I just think it's interesting as we've seen the rise of the Premier League thanks to groups like ESPN before them and now NBC, how how properly they're treating the league and and the way they're bringing it in America with a lot of reverence. I think this is just something that can help them. Yeah, you know, you want to make that money, but as you know, FIFA's finding out right now, maybe, maybe money isn't all that matters. <laughs> well, you know, I would love to find out in about six months that they're doing this to kind of distance themselves from FIFA. Oh yeah, uh, that would be fun. Wouldn't that uh, be just kind of fun? Just sort of thumbing their nose at them again. It's fantastic. Um, we got some other news. We're, Go ahead. we're nowhere near as corrupt as FIFA. <laughs> we're the Premier League. Yeah. Oh, those script writers. Those script writers are burning their 2014-2015 scripts as we speak. Um, we do have three head coaching vacancies to talk about in the Premier League that have been filled. Uh, Dick Advocat, after leaving Sunderland has signed a one-year deal with Sunderland. Very, very <laughs> interesting thing. After leading them to safety uh, out of the depths of the relegation zone this year, Dick Advocat, the Dutchman, will be pinning a one-year deal on Wareside after leaving at the end of the season. So, as the club's sure. long... Uh, the club's sporting director, Wes Lee Congerton, says... Dick was all. Dick was always our number one choice, and we were determined we weren't going to take no for an answer. I have been in constant contact with him over the last two weeks, and I'm absolutely delighted that he has agreed to return. Uh, Wes, how much on a scale of one to ten of bullshit is that? <laughs> I mean, man, anything they do is bullshit. I don't. I don't really know, man. Um... It's it's interesting. I mean, you know, it was like we had this big deal made over him leaving, and then he just turns around <laughs> and comes right back. So, it's like, oh, okay, okay. I mean, if that's 
Put word tree on it. That's fine. Whatever. Um, but you know, it's where he belongs. He he did a really good job there. You know, I think everyone wants to see. Give him a year and see what he can do. Um, so good good on him for re-signing him. They're not going to find much better. True. So uh, good good on him. Yeah, I don't know. Jurgen Klopp's available. Um, also, at West Ham, after Big Sam was let go, Slavon Bilic has now been appointed uh, as their new manager. Uh, he's the Croatian who recently parted ways with Besiktas after two years at the Turkish club. Um, they fall. They had a 12th uh, place. Uh, West Ham had a 12th place Premier League finish just this past season. Uh, Bilic actually played at West Ham earlier in his career. Um, he says, I am really glad to be back with West Ham United. It's in the Premier League, which is among the best in the world. It's a big challenge, and you're competing with the best. And what better club to do it with than West Ham? Eh, if you say so. Um, Wes, what, what would be... What would be, and we'll obviously talk about this much more in our 2015-2016 preview coming up in a few months, but what, what would Billick's goal be in his first year as, as boss of West Ham? Well, the first thing that apparently he is looking into doing is uh, he wants to sign Dejan Lovren from Liverpool. Huh. Um, they are countrymen. Uh, Billick was his national team coach. Um, so I have no problem with that. I'm all aboard Billich right now. <laughs> please, please come and make us an offer. Uh, be, be West Ham, I'm sure we'll sell them to you for half and we'll be paid for them. Um, but, you know, um, any, I think Billich will be an improvement over us. That said, you know, I think Big Sam actually gave a really good base, which they did not have. They have an identity now. They're not terrified every year now that, oh, God, we're going to drop, we're going down. You know, for years, their their one goal was survival in the Premier League, which did not always happen. Now, I think Sam consolidated just enough that now their goal should be, okay, we need to move into consistently finishing in the top half and we need to move into uh, challenging for a European spot. Absolutely. Um, and uh, our last uh, managerial position we're going to talk about here is over at Newcastle, who just barely managed to stay up. And Wes, uh, somebody I believe you mentioned earlier in the pod, will be taking over at Newcastle. It is Steve McLaren. <laughs> Um, Wes, you're already giggling, so why don't you tell us about good old Steve McLaren? I mean, that's it, man. Steve McLaren actually has turned out to be a, a good manager, a good club team manager. Um, uh, he was a train wreck for England. Of course, that kind of comes with the territory now. Um, McLaren did a really good job at Derby County. They played a really attractive brand of football. We at Liverpool kept up with them some because, uh, of course, they had our beloved Jordan Ibe mm -hmm. uh, for this past season. They had him out on loan. Um, I obviously learned quite a bit while he was over there, so he came up. I think I really think for Newcastle, it's not a bad hire for Newcastle. I, I'm I'm not really willing yet to say it was a really good hire. 
but I don't think it was a bad hire. You need someone at Newcastle that has a little bit of a personality and isn't afraid to speak your mind somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've got a guy who has been, you know, he has dealt with being in the hot seat. I mean, the guy was the England manager. Um, it doesn't get much, right. you know, much more hot seat than being the England manager. <laughs> um, so, you know, for Steve McLaren, I think he's going to come in and I'm not going to say he's going to do a great job, but it should not be the train wreck that they've had the last few years. We'll put it that way. The train wreck should be gone. That's yeah, not that's not too bad to hope for. Um, I was going to say something and now I've completely forgotten what it was. Either way, uh, that is going to about do it for our soccer talk at the moment. Uh, as we transfer to college baseball, we do want to remind you. Oh, I know what I was going to say before we transfer over to college baseball. I will still mention this podcast is being presented to you by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com. At NGSC Sports, we never stop. And if you want to hear us stop talking about soccer, tough. But if you want to hear about other sports being covered, go to NGSCSports.com. They have a lot of great podcasts, a lot of great shows. They talk about the more American-based football that uh, we watch some when it's in college, not so much when it's professional. Uh, And they're probably also talking about the NHL Finals and the NBA Finals as well. I heard LeBron's doing things or something. Um, Wes, uh, silly season. Transfer news. Uh, You had a big one. So anything else you've heard besides Latan to Liverpool? Oh god, that's that's just the dream. You so know that's the dream. No, but um, it has to happen. It has to happen after we see him play for PSG this summer. Oh god, no doubt, no doubt. We've got to draw this one out. And I truly believe it's if this is going to be into August uh, before we uh, we bring in Zlatan. Um, of course, uh, in the last week, James Milner and Danny Ings, well, both have. Uh, both have stated they will be signing for Liverpool. Of course, officially can't do it until July 1st when uh, when the transfer market opens. But both have said they'll be signed for Liverpool. For Liverpool, those are two. I think Milner is a really good signing. Ings potentially could be a good signing. Um, you know, a lot of people give him shtick uh, because oh, well, he only scored 11 goals for Burnley. He, he scored 11 goals for Burnley. Right. No one at Burnley could set him up like he should be set up at Liverpool. There's not exactly a Coutinho at Burnley. Um, you know, so for Liverpool, I think it's an improvement because, uh, yes, he scored 11 goals, and that's more than Barini, Lambert, and Balotelli all scored this year combined. It's true. And, and maybe even uh, – I think it's very close if you even add in Sturridge's goals – uh, due to the injury. I mean, you know, Liverpool had a terrible season scoring goals. They bring in somebody who's a proven goal scorer. Uh, he's still young. I mean, Ains is 22 years old. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a tribunal process unless they can work out a work out a price tag. And the only reason, because you're saying, well, yeah, but he was out of contract. He should be free. Under the age of, I believe, 23 in England, um, you have to compensate the team losing the player. Do you want to do you want to mention for the folks at home who might just be joining us about what a tribunal is? Um, basically, what it is is 
Uh, when two teams cannot agree on a fee for something like this, um, where you know the player the player has the freedom to move on, but there has to be a um, what's the word I'm looking for? There does have to be some sort of compensation with it. Mm-hmm. If the two teams cannot agree by a certain date, it goes to a tribunal, which is basically like a court. Mm-hmm. Um, that decides what the fee should be at that point. So, say I, what it sounds like, Liverpool are trying to pay about four million on this. Um, Spurs, thanks a lot, asshole. Uh, Spurs have thrown in this crazy ass million pound bid, which most people think was literally just to drive the price up on Liverpool. Probably, <laughs> assholes. Um, but now, because of that, because that. Um, figure was accepted. Now, you know, Burnley's like, well, hell, Spurs are going to pay us 12 million. You know, you need to pay us more. Liverpool's like, but, you know, uh, I don't give a crap what Spurs did because he wants to come play for us. Yes. So if those two cannot figure out a, a number somewhere, and God, I heard the date today and I've forgotten what it is. I believe it's like maybe middle of July, something like that. Mm-hmm. Then they will go before a court. Um, the tribunal, uh, both cases will be put out, and, and uh, the tribunal will come up with a fee, which you know could be for Liverpool. It's probably it's definitely going to be higher than the four million they want to pay, um, but it should not be anywhere near as much as the twelve million that Spurs have offered. Right, maybe somewhere in the middle, maybe around seven, eight million of the tribunal, which would make it the largest uh, ever for a tribunal for an under twenty-three. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, that's just part of the Silly Season news that we'll be bringing you over the course of the next weeks here. Again, July 1st is when players can officially start signing with teams, so we'll be keeping you updated on that. Now let's move on to college baseball. Here's a quick recap of what happened in a crazy Super Regional weekend. It's been a really crazy College World Series thus far. We start in the Charlottesville Super as Virginia downs Maryland for the second straight year in Charlottesville. Game 1, 5-3. Game 2, 5-4. Virginia beats the vaunted Maryland bullpen and Brian Mooney twice in a row. The second time on an Ernie Clement game-winning two-run double in which Virginia Virginia trailed 4-2 going into the bottom of the ninth. And they came all the way back to win that one. Virginia back to the College World Series for the second straight year. Over in Fayetteville which again is a super regional site because Missouri State wasn't forward-thinking enough to plan for a super regional in their own state. Uh, Arkansas No, won- we're not talking about the shitty Fayetteville that we hate going to every year. No, no, no. This is an all-right Fayetteville. Uh, Arkansas won game one, 18-4. Missouri State took game two, 3-1. to one, And Arkansas took a tight rubber game, 3-2, to two, to advance to the World Series. Uh, in Gainesville, Florida pounded Florida State in the Battle of FLA. Game one, they won 13 to five. Game two, they won 11 to four. Kevin O'Sullivan taking the Gators back to Omaha. Down in Coral Gables, uh, Miami had a bit of a scare from VCU in Game one, three to two, and then showed their dominance in Game two by getting a big 10 to three win in Coral Gables. So Miami and Jim Morris head back to Omaha. 
on the other half of the bracket in Baton Rouge in the Battle of Louisiana. Louisiana took two close games against Louisiana Lafayette. The first one 4-3, the second one 6-3 to send LSU back to the World Series out of Alex Box Stadium. Over in Fort Worth in the Battle of Texas, another insane, and obviously TCU is involved in this one, series. TCU wins game one big over Texas A&M 13-4. AM comes back the next night to win two to one in ten innings, and then TCU wins the final game five to four in sixteen innings. Horn Frogs going back to Omaha for the second straight year and only the second time in program history. Uh, in Louisville, Cal State Fullerton, the Titans heading back to Omaha after winning a testy, testy, testy regional in Louisville. They won game one, three to two in 10 innings. Louisville came back and won game two convincingly nine to three. Cal State Fullerton won the game three in extra innings again, four to three in 11. Finally in Champaign, the defending champions returned to Omaha. Tim Corbin's Vanderbilt Commodores beat Illinois down in game one, 13 to nothing. And then after a rain delay postponed game two to Monday, Vanderbilt advanced four to two in two straight games. So your first round matchups are in one side of the bracket, Virginia versus Arkansas. And in another battle of Florida, it's Miami versus the Gators. On the other side of the bracket, two seeded teams, LSU and TCU. And the other game will be Cal State Fullerton versus Vanderbilt. For those of you keeping up at home, uh, Wes and I are now tied. I have equalized in the Super Regionals in terms of amount of picks right. We are both now level at uh, 13 picks right apiece. We both have our two national champion contenders as well as both national champions. I had Florida TCU with Florida winning. He had Miami versus LSU with LSU winning. So Wes, after a crazy Super Regional, uh, what are you looking forward to as we head to Omaha? Looking forward to those Canes keep on bounding the baseball. There you go. University of Miami, they are back. First time since, I believe, 2008 that the Hurricanes have been to uh, their rightful place in Omaha. Uh, we take on the Gators, which you know is going to definitely be a really, really hot matchup out in uh, good old the flatlands of Omaha. Um, hey, my championship is still intact. I've still got the Canes. I've still got the Tigers. still got my rematch. Warren Morris, we got payback coming, buddy. Hurricane's still going to take that national title, Ed Green. First ACC title since, I think, 54. Uh, yes, you'd be correct. That was Wake Forest who won that one. Of course, Miami has won the College World Series, but did it as part of the Big East, not part of the ACC. Uh, actually, 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 if you want to get there, they were independents. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought they were part of the Big East when they did it. My apologies. Um I, of course, this is going to be, since you got your Homer Minute, I want my Homer Minute now. You got it. You uh, have the floor. Go right ahead. Uh, congratulations to the University of Virginia, uh, a team that could have basically given up at multiple points this season when everybody went down with injuries. Uh, Joe McCarthy started the season shelved, missed about the first two months. Nathan Kirby uh, missed about nine weeks in the middle of the season, is just coming back now and most likely will be pitching solely out of the bullpen uh, in Omaha. And after losing all three of their pool play games in uh, Durham for the ACC tournament after beating Georgia Tech in the play-in game, it looked like this team having to go to the West Coast, 
uh, might be done for. And yet, they have made it back to Omaha in maybe the most unlikely of circumstances. Of course, they got a little help from Maryland beating UCLA so that UVA could host their home regional, or their home super regional, I should say. But just just a fantastic job by Brian O'Connor, Carl Kuhn, and Kevin McMullen over there at UVA getting squeezing maybe every last drop of talent out of this very strong group of freshmen. Again, only three seniors on UVA right now. They did have, I believe, seven, either six or seven players drafted in the MLB draft the last couple days. So just amazing, amazing job by Virginia. A season, I don't know if many people thought they'd make it back to Omaha, but they are back there now. And of course, congrats to Vanderbilt. The King is still alive. Um, Wes, if you had to pick someone besides Miami to win the College World Series, who are you going to pick? Uh, LSU would be my other pick, but I'm going to tell you, man, Vanderbilt, you know, they got the number one overall player in the draft. They got Dansby Swanson. Mm -hmm. Um, they kind of seem to maybe have a little destiny thing going here. Um, so that'll be, uh, that'll, that would definitely be a team for me to keep your eye on. Absolutely. Uh, that is, that is one interesting team, of course. Another big storyline going into Omaha, it'll be four SEC teams in play. Somehow, they all are playing someone from a different conference. Kind of interesting that half the teams are SEC teams, and yet there's not one SEC versus SEC battle oh, in but the I first round. The, and you say that, but you know, the brackets were set when the whole thing started. Oh, yeah. and that, I mean, that's kind of neat about it. Yeah, they are all playing somebody different, but it was the brackets were set. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not questioning. I'm not. I'm not saying script writers were involved here. Oh, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know if we were going FIFA integrity here or something. No, no, no. I just, I just think I, from a math standpoint that you have half of the field left in Omaha and none of them are playing each other. I, I thought that was just in, an interesting statistical occurrence. <laughs> I apologize. I am not saying, even though the NCAA is very corrupt, I am not saying they fixed the draw here. Not, not at all. Would I say that? Okay, I didn't know all the Big Ten fans kind of say that. So. Well, the Big Ten can bring a team to Omaha, and then maybe we'll talk. Burn. Um, Wes, let's hit the zeitgeist real quick. This is a story that you know we've been wanting to talk about for a while and just never really had time. Uh, but on the, the eve of the Copa America, uh, we do have this story from a couple weeks ago. Brazilians' national team squad selections were sold to a firm alleges a report. Uh, this is from an ESPN staff article. The Brazilian national team squad selection has not entirely been in the hands of its coaches since 2012. In a shocking expose in the O Estado, the newspaper reveals Brazil's football federation, CBF, entered into a multi-million dollar secret contract with marketing firm ISE in 2006, and since the deal's renewal in December of 2011, has given powers of player call-ups to the Cayman Islands-based company and its business partners. Uh, should one of the A-team quote-unquote players be injured, the contract mandates CBF must show proof to ISE with a medical certificate. Uh, the paper reports of the contract, quote, any changes to the list shall be communicated in writing to ISE and confirmed by mutual accord. In this case, CBF will endeavor to substitute new players of a similar level in relation to marketing value technical ability and reputation um the cbs of course the cbf i should say of course deny the story's allegations 
But Wes, I mean, this is something that's kind of not gotten a lot of attention thanks to everything going down at FIFA. But, oh my god, this is insane if this allegation is true. <laughs> Only in Brazil, man. You know, I mean, Brazil is just one of those, and I know you have obviously Brazilian ties, but you know they're corrupt. Yeah, I didn't realize it was this corrupt. He realizes it's this bad, but I mean, it doesn't almost make sense, you know. Every year when the Brazilian team comes out, somebody's always like, who the hell did this guy make it? Fred? And now we know. Now we, know. now we may know why. So, um, kind of interesting. So we'll see what comes out of that. Not sure right now. Uh, we'll see if uh, what kind of team Dunga puts together as he goes to the Copa America and uh, forward on into the other tournaments he will be the head coach for. Very, very interesting story, though. And uh, we're not done with Brazilian people yet, yet or, uh, or Argentinians either. Two Barcelona players, one from Argentina, one for Brazil, uh, are being investigated in two separate tax fraud cases. Uh, Barcelona 4, Lionel Messi, will face trial over allegations. He and his father, Jorge, defrauded Spanish authorities of 4.1 million euros in unpaid income tax. Uh, reported by Gold.com, quote, Lionel Messi's appeal against allegations of tax evasion has been thrown out by a Barcelona court and the Argentina star will now stand trial. On the other side, uh, Barcelona star, according to Fox Sports, Neymar is reportedly being investigated by Brazilian tax authorities with charges expected to be filed in the coming weeks, according to Brazilian magazine Epoca. The magazine claims the investigation has been taking place for well over a year and is currently focused on a specific company in which Neymar's parents are partners. Authorities have apparently uncovered an, quote, unusual cash flow of $38 million. So, Wes, we said the only way to beat Real Madrid was if it becomes a grease fire. Now, right after the Champions League, is there any way... Obviously, these are pretty two both serious allegations. Is there any way this affects Barcelona's team going forward? Because I don't think either one of us can really speak that much about the legal logistics here. Um, I just don't think really this is going to break that team up or break them down. I mean, th this is why when you make millions of dollars a year... You have a team of high-priced lawyers. Yeah. They take care of this stuff for you so you don't have to. Um, don't think that Neymar is sitting around all the time going, oh, no, I have this legal tax thing to take care of. No. I mean, it's, once again, that's why you have lawyers. That's why you pay your lawyers a ton of money is to take care of you on this. Um, I mean, they're going to come off some cash now, don't get me wrong. But I, I don't think this is – I don't really think this is that – Huge of a deal overall on the pitch, at least. Well, one thing I think that's also interesting as part of this Neymar story, and this came out just about a week and a half ago. It looks like Santos, uh, their club, is looking like they are going to sue Neymar and his father and Barcelona over the transfer that brought the uh, Neymar to the Camp Nou in 2013. Uh, again, this is from Goal.com. The club have, have alleged they should have received more money than these 17.1 million euros they were paid two years ago after being misled by the Catalans. Um, so, I mean, you have this. You have these tax fraud allegations for both players, and you have the FIFA fair play uh, restrictions going on right now in Barcelona. 
you're talking about they have all these lawyers. These lawyers aren't doing a very good job if all this crap keeps happening to them. <laughs> man, I tell you, Barcelona, they're just damn shady, man. You know, they're the ones that were trying to dispute the uh, Suarez fee for Liverpool. And, you know, it just, seems, it just seems like you can never have a really just an easy transfer with Barcelona. It's always something at the end of the day. Um, so I think you might just have some, some shady-ass people running things. Shocking. Um, our last Zeitgeist story uh, is one that comes to us from the Stanley Cup playoffs. And NBC Sports chairman Mark Lazarus, uh, as we, you know, as someone who sort of follows hockey, I think the playoff beard has become fairly ubiquitous now. We know what that is. It started in hockey and has found its way to other sports, most notably in baseball a couple years ago with the Boston Red Sox in their World Series push. Um, but, Wes, it looks like uh, NBC Sports chairman Mark Lazarus wants the players to cut them off. Uh, this from a report in the Chicago Tribune saying, Lazarus said he has lobbied the NHL and its players to end the tradition of the playoff beards. He says the excess facial hair hurts player recognition for fans, perhaps hindering the development of new stars during the highest rated games of the season. Quote, the players won't like this, but I wish they would all stop growing beards in the postseason, Lazarus said. Let's get their faces out there. Let's talk about how young and attractive they are, what model citizens they are. Hockey players truly are one of a kind among professional athletes. Is is this the most just old grandpa get off my lawn thing we've heard in a while? Well, no, because old grandpa would be like, what the hell? I grow a beard, it's my damn beard. You True. know, this is this is slick corporate bullshit is what this is. It's like, man, don't don't try to tell someone a tradition that's about, you know, 40 to 50 years of tradition that, you know, this is what you've always done. Don't try to turn around and tell me, oh, you'll need to do it for marketing reasons. Dude, it's fucking hockey. Yeah. No one's watching it that much anyway. It's sort of true. I, I think he has a point. Like it does, but there's there's no other way to do it. And you can't you can't tell them to shave their beards. No. Yes, they wear helmets, they wear visors, uh, although they're clear. So yeah, it's tough. But if you're going to, when you do your promos, you can probably have them skate around without a helmet on. Like like I assume in that venue, these people are good enough athletes that they can probably skate and be fine without wearing helmets. Do it for your promos then, you know, but let them keep the beard. I mean, nobody's complaining about James Harden having a beard for the Houston Rockets. And I no, get that NBA is a different game, but it's just well, it's just stupid. And this whole thing about them being young and good looking, um, let's take a quick look at uh, the A-list uh, female celebrities who have married hockey players. Yeah. Um, you know, At the top of that list, obviously, Carrie Underwood. Uh, hockey players are doing okay. Yeah. Um, chicks dig hockey players because they have muscular backs and uh, extremely strong bases. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, most most women understand, yeah, he can shave a beard. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't yeah. – <laughs> it's whatever, man. I just – I don't see exactly what massive uh, marketing tools that hockey players are anyway. Yeah. I mean, we literally know like maybe four of them in the country at any given time. Yeah. So, you know, unless you're a fan, at which point you don't care. I mean, it's, it is a guy making suggestions. 
But I just think uh, I think overall the tradition of hockey, because hockey's one of those sports, you know, they're very they're about the tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys aren't just going to give in on it because some TV executive wants them to. I, I like the last line of this article, which which I feel like comes across as the most passive aggressive crap ever. This is the last quote in the article. He says, "But I'm just a TV guy. They don't want to listen to me." Like, shut up, dude. Just, we, we know NBC is doing great things right now. And yes, the Stanley Cup and the entire playoffs really have been doing very well on your sports network. I think it's not going to change a whole lot if you have the players shave their beards. I, I don't think that's the hardcore issue to bring more fans in. I'm sorry that that. That just doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like... If they shave their beards, I'm not going to watch it at all. Hey, hey, Mattingly, shave those sideburns. Oh, damn, Mattingly, shave those sideburns. After he shaves his head. <laughs> shave those sideburns. Uh, did you hear Marge and Homer are splitting up? I've heard Bart's going to die next season. This... They, they... Screw the, screw the Simpsons. Just screw heard, the Simpsons. Uh, I've heard Sideshow Bob is going to get Bart, but it's going to be on a Treehouse of Horror episode. Oh. So it won't be one that, like, it, it's not like they're writing off Bart or anything. It's not canon. Homer and Marge have broken up many times. Uh, <sighs> not really broken up, but she's kicked him out more than once. Yeah, it's... He's Homer. He's an idiot. He needs to be kicked out every now and then. So stupid. Um... So let's go on now that we've done that. Let's head to Watch 4. Wes, have you watched anything in the week that was or the week that will be? Um, crap, let me think. Have I watched something this week? Um, everything's pointing toward yes, but I can't remember what I watched. Nice. <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you. Watch four. Once the seasons of the shows are over, watch four becomes really freaking tough. Yeah. Because seriously, I sit home, I watch wrestling, I watch baseball, and I watch reruns of shows that I already like. <laughs> nice. Well, what, what's what reruns have you been watching then? Well, I, I will say this, and this is something I have on my DVR. I haven't watched yet, but there was a three-part like mini series on the History Channel called Texas Rising. Oh. Which uh, was about the um, kind of the, the Texas Revolution against Santa Ana. Uh, of course, everyone remembers the Alamo, but what happened after the Alamo was the actual revolution itself. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I want to say Bill Paxton's like the main guy in it. He plays, um, oh, I think, God, what's General? Crap. Maybe Stephen, uh, Stephen F. Austin or something like that. Okay. But I'm, I'm kind of stoked to watch that when I finally do get the chance. So I'll be watching for that whenever I get a chance to actually watch it. Nice. Um, did you ever finish Daredevil? No, I got two episodes in, but I've still got it in there to go. Oh, fantastic. Um, I will tell you, I watched uh, this weekend, I binged all 133 videos of a series called Marble Hornets. Um, with videos ranging anywhere from 30 seconds to... 15 minutes or so um my god am i now that i finished it so sad that i wasted that much time doing it um marble hornets for those of you that don't know is a series a web series um that was supposed to be sort of like one of those uh found footage blair witch project type series based on the slenderman mythology 
Uh, if you guys don't know what Slenderman is, just look it up on the internet. Uh, it's it's the internet created a boogeyman, basically. Uh, and it was really good, really, really tense, really scary in a, again, tense sort of way. Nothing gory about it, nothing, nobody really getting hurt that much except one guy at the end gets stabbed in the neck. But um, other than that, really, really good. Had a lot of really good setup, a lot of really good pacing. And then the end just falls apart. You you just get to the end and you're like, wait, I, I just spent 132 uh, videos and the last one ends like that? Really? That That's how you wanted to end? Oh, okay. Okay. That's, that is garbage. So <laughs> I, I have to say it was very enjoyable. If you're a fan of the scariness, I recommend it. Um, I still actually recommend it. Uh, it's pretty well done. The acting is sometimes kind of crappy, um, but it's it's for a web series. It's really good, and um, it just just don't do like I did and binge it in the span of two days, because um, then you will you will feel so stupid at the end of it for having watched it. Uh, but if you spread it out, it's probably a lot better. Um, so yeah, very. I, I would still recommend it though to anybody watching. Uh, but again, it's a hundred and thirty three videos, so. Yeah, watch it. Watch it when you have the time. That again, that is the Marble Hornets series. Um, very, very good. Um, all right, Wes. That brings us to something also very scary on the internet. So raw. So raw. And Ed, guess what? What? Since we haven't had a pay per view in almost two weeks, it's time to get ready for another pay per view. Hooray! Hooray! It'll be our third pay-per-view in six weeks. Of course, they're not really pay-per-views because nobody buys them on pay-per-view anymore. <laughs> this one, though, is Money in the Bank, which is uh, always it's an important pay-per-view because the title of the show is Money in the Bank. That is kind of the main match of the card in which some superstar is going to climb up a ladder and get the Money in the Bank briefcase. And then we just spend our time waiting for them to cash in and win the title. Yes. Last year, Seth Rollins won Money in the Bank. At WrestleMania, we had an amazing moment where Rollins came down, won the world title. And, and that's what it's that's what it's there to do. It gives you a guaranteed world title shot anywhere, anytime of your choice. Um, you do have a title contract in there. So, uh, And it's always a really exciting match when you get the ladders and get the guys climbing up. It'll be great. Um, also coming up, the world title match is going to be another ladder match. It's going to be Ambrose and Rollins. Once again, Ed, you know, I'm excited. Love my Ambrose. Yes, you do. Uh, this past week on raw, raw came to us live from new Orleans, Louisiana. One of my absolute favorite cities in this country. Uh, Dean Ambrose, um, WWE followed him on Instagram that day. And Dean Ambrose decided to take the championship belt that he had stolen from Seth Rollins and take it out on the tour of New Orleans. Oh, uh, we saw him in Jackson Square. We saw him on Bourbon Street. We saw him at Pat O'Brien's. We saw him playing some smooth jazz on the corner with the championship belt. So you know what? The belt had a great day down in the French Quarter, which everyone should have a great day down in the French Quarter at least once in their lives. Um, <clears throat> setting up for it, we've got some fun stuff coming up. We're going to have a tag team title match uh, between the prime time players and uh, the New Day. That's going to be a really good match at Money in the Bank. Um, both those teams, a lot of charisma. And charisma is what we're looking for, of course, in wrestling, because I need you to hold my attention for two to three hours at a time. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, me, uh, the big show is back. Woohoo. Because he hasn't been around fucking forever. Nope. So, anyway. Um, who else have we got? Hmm. Sadly, that's kind of it for this week. Uh, Tough Enough is about to kick off. Tough Enough is always fun. That's, um, that's a uh, kind of a reality show where the winner of it gets a uh, WWE contract. Uh-huh. Um, so they are narrowing down the uh, applicants for Tough Enough. I think they're down to 40 at this point, maybe down to 30 by now. Um, but we'll do that, and we, uh, we kind of continue our run towards SummerSlam coming up in August. Love God. We got what are we, what are we pushing for SummerSlam this year, Wes? I want a Shield triple threat match: <sighs> Rollins versus Ambrose versus Reigns. That's what I want this year for my uh, main event. Uh, we're looking at Brock Lesnar being back on June twenty second, so that's going to really um, throw a wrench in some things and change a lot of things. Uh, we got John Cena, Kevin Owens coming up. I expect Kevin Owens to soon be a full time uh, member on the. Uh, on the main roster, I'm hoping by SummerSlam that uh, he will be joined by uh, Finn Balor, mm. who is probably other than Seth Rollins right now, probably my favorite wrestler to watch in the world and has been considered for a while to maybe be the best wrestler in the world. Um, just amazing, amazing. He's Irish and he is just fantastic. Um, so, you know, it, it hopefully could have a really exciting summer in WWE. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, fantastic. Well, we look forward to hearing more about it here on the all-new sports show, the podcast. Uh, that is going to about do it here for episode 58. Uh, we have plenty more to talk about next week, and as long as we don't get about 800 more FIFA stories in the next seven days, uh, we'll be probably bringing you Euro qualifying matches. Uh, of course, those will be taking place this Friday through Monday, I believe. Uh, so go check those out. A lot of big matches to come. Of course, Copa America kicks off Thursday. Uh, more Women's World Cup will be taking place. And so, so, so much more. Of course, uh, we'll be in the throes of Omaha when we next join you, uh, as we'll be about almost to the end of the bracket play there, heading into the championship match. And, of course, just a whole bunch more stuff. So, Wes, anything you want to add before we start getting out of here? Baseball's over. I'm Jack. Woohoo! No more of these damn kids to bother me. We won our last game of the year in walk-off style, 8-7. The boy hit over 500 this year, and I don't have to coach all-stars. So does that mean you won the Community Shield? I did. I won the Community Shield match. I won the... Uh, I won the one-game tournament. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the two-team one-game tournament. So. Oh, be proud. If you want to tell Wes how proud you are of him winning the Community Shield over oh, there in Edgecombe. And, and, and let me throw one more thing. Sure. Uh, big love, Bitten Moss. Six-round yep. draft pick of the Tampa Bay uh, Rays. Um, you know, I, I've known Bitten literally since he was 12. Just as amazing a human being, if you if he never touches a baseball again, he's all he's going to do is cure cancer and be a freaking senator one day. Not bad. Um, the guy, the kid's amazing. Uh, Morehead Scholar graduate, University of North Carolina. Uh, over three hundred strikeouts as a Tar Heel for four years pitching um, in a very elite group of that. Went the fifteenth round a year ago to San Francisco. This year goes in the sixth round. So that now gives me uh, three former Griffons in the minor leagues at the moment. Uh, of course, Brian Goodwin, Hobbs Johnson, and now Benton Moss. Yeah, hopefully uh, Brian Goodwin picks it up. But uh, you can hear more Brian Goodwin updates on the all-new sports show. The show 
which will be making its season finale in the next week or week and a half here. Um, but for now, if you want to, again, if you want to talk to Wes on the social media, you can find him on Twitter at? At Wes Bradshaw 21. I am at Edward Green. We are as a collective, the all new sports show at all new sports show on Facebook. We're all new sports show. Same for Instagram, YouTube. Just throw a V at the beginning of it. Email us all new sports show at gmail.com. Mail 1701 Sunset Avenue, suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. Of course, we want to give one more big shout out to NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com. They're presenting this podcast to you. We're at NGSC Sports. We never stop. Of course, also big thanks to everyone else out there who or, uh, puts forth our podcast and where you can find it, including the TuneIn Media app, Media app, excuse Media media app, uh, Spreaker.com, Stitcher Radio, the iTunes Music Store, and Podbean.com. Thanks for all of you guys for getting our podcast out to the, eh, let's say, masses that are listening to this uh, right now. Uh, but that'll do it for episode 58. We'll come back with episode 59 next week. Until then, for McCall, Wes Bradshaw, producer Des, I am Edward Green. Thanks so much and enjoy some more Women's World Cup matches and uh, the start of the Omaha portion of the College World Series this weekend. Good night, Albania. Did you know it borders the Adriatic Sea? Uh, it's one of my favorite of the non-Black Seas. Oh, it's... Why? why? What do you have against the Black Sea? I love the Black, the Black Sea. That's what I'm saying. It's my oh. favorite of the non-Black Sea. Oh, okay. I understand. Okay. I misunderstood. Trying to turn me into a racist here or something? You got, you got you got to understand what you're saying in politically charged America now, Wes Bradshaw. <sighs> Love the Black Sea. Oh, of course you do. Why why wouldn't you? It's a man.